0: This is a popul- popular podcast. Do not Welcome to Popular History, a library of Catholic knowledge and insights brought to you daily. Today, we're continuing our efforts to epitomize popular history's principal content with our summary of episode Op.12 Rome, Part 5, Imperium. And actually, Surprise! I'm doing more than that today, because I can sum up point twelve in a sentence. After years of civil war and consolidation I summarized in that episode, Octavian, the nephew and heir of Julius Caesar, wound up as Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of the Roman Empire. There was and is a certain logic to stopping my overview of ancient Rome with the death of Augustus, considering Christ was born during his reign, and we would, and will, be covering future emperors during their reigns. But I think in order for this to be a useful reference point, it would be good to make this a ridiculously short and Christocentric history of the Roman Empire that I can refer back to as needed in the future. It will be a little longer than my standard epitome, but I refuse to split this up. Augustus’s main struggle was taking power from the Senate while still showing the senators enough respect and giving them enough honor that they would give up their real power voluntarily. This process continued through the varyingly sane reigns of his immediate successors, the members of his extended Julio-Claudian family, culminating in Nero, that first real persecutor of Christians. After Nero was deposed, there was the year of the four emperors, one sacked after another, until General Vespasian finally came in from his short conquest of Judea to establish the short-lived Flavian dynasty. Vespasian's son and heir Titus, is the emperor most closely tied to the destruction of the temple, though he carried that out before he was emperor himself. Titus was succeeded by his brother Domitian, generally seen as a persecutor of Christians, though that isn't well documented. The next batch, shorthanded as the five good emperors, were generally good for the empire, though not always great for the Christians. They were not a dynasty, preferring instead to appoint a capable successor rather than just elevating their sons, until Marcus Aurelius blew it, by elevating his son, Commodus, who did, well, badly. You know our summary is cursory when it might leave you with the impression that Gladiator is completely accurate. Either way, to be clear, the idea of the Republic being restored after now centuries of consolidation was not as viable as that movie made it look. And to be clear, I like Gladiator, so don't get too defensive. Anyways, things lurched a bit after Commodus, but stabilized for a few decades under Septimius Severus and his sons, Caracalla and Geta. Severus had a plan to split the empire, which we'll gradually see becoming a reality. But once the old man died, the apparently mad Caracalla killed his brother and ran the whole show into the ground himself. A relatively enduring puppet wandered into the imperial purple after another period of lurching, but the lurching resumed after a coup, by now an established Roman tradition, cut the puppet Severus Alexander's strings. If this were straight Roman history, I wouldn't be pausing to mention Emperor Decius popping up during the ensuing chaos. But with our Christian bent, you should know that the persecution of Christians ramped up considerably during his reign, and from this point it would be a more prominent theme. Christianity had basically always been illegal, but it had not faced active extermination attempts until this time. The empire broke into three during this crisis of the 3rd century, as it's called, with France and Roman Britain splitting into a Gallic empire, a central Roman state in the middle, and what's called the Palmyrian Empire in the east. If Zenobia rings a bell, this is where she came in. But it was all brought back together under Aurelian, who earned the title of Restorer of the World, and then, according to one account, promptly died shouting. After another period of chaos, and yes, I've skipped a ton, like the hat-stand Emperor Valerian, stability is largely brought back by Diocletian, beloved among Romans generally for really stabilizing things, but also one of the most famous persecutors of Christians ever to seize the imperial purple. Diocletian's story is insane, but in the end, though his plan was carried out through his voluntary retirement, it did not carry through after his death, which brought about civil war but in a much more consolidated and straightforward manner than the sheer chaos of the previous fifty odd years. So, civil war, yes, but not an existential threat to the empire. The eventual victor of Diocletian's funeral games was Constantine, known as Constantine the Great, especially by Christians, because he was Rome's first Christian emperor. Let's not oversell that, though, as his actual baptism would be on his deathbed and would be done at the hands of a heretic he had grown a soft spot for going a long way to undo the work of uniting the church through the ecumenical council of Nicaea he had done earlier in his imperial career. Nor was Rome done with pagan emperors, as the last of the Constantinian emperors would be Julian the Apostate, who tried to revive classical paganism until he took a spear to the chest. The Christianization of Rome continued apace, as did its splintering between East and West, until the Emperor Theodosius became traditionally both the last ruler of united East and West and also the emperor who made Christianity the official religion of the empire. The Western Empire would whimper on into oblivion in the coming years, notably as the popes rose to prominence, while on the eastern side of things, the empire restabilized and more thoroughly Christianized. No eastern, now shorthanded Byzantine, emperor represented both the stabilization and Christianity more clearly during this period than Justinian, who actually recaptured Rome itself from the successors that the Romans had dismissed as barbarians before gradually incorporating them into their polity and uh, losing the city and the government to them? The remains of the old Roman Senate continued to function in the city until the life of Muhammad, which is not normally how one would date such a thing, but this is my summary, and I have a weird emphasis here. The rise of Islam sets the stage for the next great question in the topic of Rome who was its successor? In the East, and frankly, the only right answer if I set my ingrained biases aside, the answer was obvious. The Roman Empire was still around, it's right here, it's never fallen. And as of the year 800, the Roman Empire in the East is in the ruthless hands of Empress Irene. But in the West, it seemed to make a lot more sense that a dude should be emperor, and there was only one dude for the job. Charlemagne, whose grandfather had helped stop the Muslims from taking over all of Europe and whose father had given vast swaths of central Italy to the popes, thus forming the papal states. On Christmas Day in 800, Pope Leo III crowned Charlemagne as emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. This was certainly among the actions that drove enough of a wedge between the dominant forms of Christianity of the day, Catholicism in the West, and Orthodoxy in the East, to result in schism. The churches formally split in 1054. It wasn't long before they were cooperating again in the form of the Crusades, seeking to take formerly Christian-dominated territory back from the Muslims, though the Crusades were not always a plus for East-West relations. Consider the Fourth Crusade, where the Latin Catholics took over the Byzantine Empire after sacking its capital, Constantinople. That certainly didn't help promote East-West solidarity. Since then, various attempts have been made to reunite East and West ecclesiastically, several of which were technically successful, but only for a short time. For what it's worth, I'm more optimistic than most that we'll see movement on that great divide in our lifetimes. After all, the mutual excommunications were already lifted in the 1960s. Getting back to the Middle Ages now at their tail end, eventually Constantinople fell to the Muslims, coming under the sultans who now consider themselves the true successors of the Roman Empire. Though the Holy Roman Empire was still around in Central Europe, And technically emerging Spain bought the imperial title from a claimant, not to mention France getting in on the game from a medieval legal perspective. In more recent times, 20th century Italian strongman Benito Mussolini sought to restore a Roman empire ruled from, well, you know, Rome. Now obviously, to call that a whirlwind tour would be an understatement. I don't blame you if you got lost. Fear not, this will be gone through at a much more leisurely pace as our main narrative progresses both through the shorter format, Project Veritas, and through the Solemn High pod. I expect this summary will be referred and linked back to, like, a lot. Hopefully, if you did get lost this time, it'll make more sense next time. And of course, feel free to email me at popularhistory@gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. Next week, we'll be getting back into more standard territory. You know, the kind where I don't tack on an extra 2,000 years just for fun. Tune in next Sunday to hear me epitomize the Hasmoneans. Or, of course, there's going to be more content tomorrow. This is a daily show, after all. Thank you for listening. God bless you all.